Acts 11, starting at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there'd be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now we zoom in this evening to a key moment in the history of the world. We are at one of the turning points of what is now a global phenomenon impacting more people across the world than any other movement. On its own, purely as a matter of historical interest, this is fascinating. It's what you might call a red carpet moment in what is now the most popular box office movement in global history. A movement that has shaped nations, changed individuals, and brought hope and energizing power to billions. Nine days ago, I was invited to visit the archive of a company that is within a couple of minutes' walk of this building. In fact, it's right next to us. The archivist was a fascinating woman. She is an expert, having done her dissertation in boar's head carols that are still sung today, apparently with a procession in Oxford carrying a boar's head and singing a carol. That's beside the point. One by one, from the archive, were brought out ancient documents of extraordinary interest. A deed of the lease of a piece of land from St. Helen's Church dating from 1360, eight acres for 14 shillings. The deed that enabled that company to take over land that belonged to us originally, dating from 1543, signed by... Uh, Thomas Cromwell's nephew. One item was of particular... You can imagine our eyes were on stalks. I was trying to make a legal case that the land actually all belongs to us. But uh, one item was of particular interest. It was the New Testament text and notes of Erasmus that was owned by no less than Thomas Cranmer with his own handwritten notes in the margin. So if you write in the side of your books, hey, you've got good precedent for that. Now, I was accompanied by an Australian and New Zealander, and as Erasmus's New Testament was brought out, and knowing that it was Cranmer's, 
One of them said quietly to me, this is the book that has had the singular greatest impact on all of Western culture. He could make a pretty good case for that. I was particularly pleased that the archivist brought out an atlas from 1651 that had Australia and New Zealand simply a blank with the unknown southern land. Well, it was actually a land very well known to plenty of the indigenous people at the time, but it amused me with my guess. This incident that we are considering this evening is, is of far more than mere historical interest. We're considering God's work. We're considering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may remember in chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts, Jesus promised that his apostle will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we're in a section of the book of Acts that has run from chapter 9, verse 31. It goes right the way through to chapter 12. And up to now, the good news of forgiveness of sins, the rule and kingship of Jesus Christ, his resurrection power, it's all been confined simply to Israel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ancient Israel. But in this section... We have seen already the first trickle of water, if you like, coming out through the, you know, the hole in the dam. You know when you chuck a pebble into, a, into the pond, it kind of ripples out. We've seen that first splash, and uh, the dam is about to burst. This is the first breach. As we get to Antioch, out from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and by the close of today's reading, we have the first genuine church on non-Jewish territory soil. So what we're looking at today is a bursting of the banks, if you like. The fulfillment of God's promise that he will establish his people, not just in Israel, but across the whole world. And this is the first moment. Those scattered through the persecution spread the word far and wide. Verse 19 They were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Well, so the first steps were made. They thought, well, this is just for the Jews. We'll only speak for the Jews. Now look at verse 20. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyrene is on the north coast of Africa, who on coming to Antioch, which is in Syria, to the north of Israel, spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, the Hellenists may have included some Greek Jewish converts, but certainly were made up of non-Jewish Greeks who had little or no connection with Judaism at all. And so you can see what's going on. This third city of the Roman Empire, up there in modern-day Syria, to the north of Israel, and the first establishing of the Christian gospel in non-Israelite territory. And as we look through the passage, Luke is wanting us to see, I think, that this is God's business, that this is, if you like, a Bible business, this is a word business, and that this is our business. First, it's God's business. Look at verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Look at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all. Look at verse 24. 
and a great many people were added to the Lord. So this new move outside of the boundaries of Judaism, outside of the geographical location of Israel, is founded by God's hand, the hand of God was with them, is established by God's grace, the grace of God was evident, and is grown through God's addition. A great number were added to them. In other words, who started the church in Antioch? God did. Now, up to this point, in this section of Acts, all the action has been with the apostle Peter. In chapter 9, it's Peter who is shown to have all of God's power as an apostle. In chapter 10, it is Peter who goes to the house of Cornelius in Caesarea, and through whom the first non-Jew was converted. And in chapter 11, it's Peter who is summoned back to Jerusalem, to headquarters, if you like, to give a report of what has been going on. Peter, 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 Peter. That much was key because Peter was the rock on whose teaching Jesus had said he was going to build his church. So with a new breach to the first Gentile believer, Cornelius, it needed to be Peter who, if you like, authenticated it to show that this was a genuine work of God and, if I might put it like this, that it was really kosher. But now look who's doing the preaching, verse 19. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, not Peter. This is the only part of this block of Acts where Peter is not front and center in the spotlight. The men from Cyprus and Cyrene, from the island of Cyprus, maybe you've been on holiday there, from the north coast of Africa, they'd obviously been in Jerusalem under the persecution. They'd become Christians. Under the persecution, they were scattered. They traveled far and wide. Some went back to Cyprus and so on and so forth. Some ended up in the third biggest city of the Roman Empire. They come to Antioch and they speak to the Greek-speaking non-Jews about Jesus. And the hand of the Lord is on them. And the grace of God enabled them. And the Lord added a great many people to their number. In other words, what Peter had been doing with Cornelius, God is now doing far and wide. That's the point. Right outside of the headquarters of Jerusalem, beyond the boundary of Israel, this movement, which now has impacted every nation across the world, billions of people down through history, is bursting the banks. Antioch was founded in 300 BC by one of Alexander the Great's generals. Antioch was known as the Queen of the East on account of her population being made up of Persians, Greeks, and Oriental people. Some writers have even suggested that there were Chinese people in Antioch at the time. Imagine that. Dumplings and spring rolls, noodles and egg fried rice. It was the third city of Rome. Antioch was known as Antioch the Beautiful, a vast city for its day, sophisticated, cosmopolitan, wealthy, multicultural, educated, and elite. And now here comes the Christian gospel, and they start speaking of Jesus, and people right outside the boundaries of Jerusalem, rank Gentiles, are being converted, and it's God's work. God is establishing his church, his grace. He added, he prospered the work. 
This point that it is God who grows his church is a point that is made throughout the book of Acts. All the way through the book so far, we've had this sense that God adds to the people. Chapter 2, verse 41, there were added that day 3,000 souls. 247, the Lord added to their number. 514, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. 6, verse 7, the number of disciples were multiplied greatly. But now the banks have burst. When the Ethiopian eunuch is converted, it's because the Lord brought Philip to the right place at the right time. Later on, when Malta hears the gospel, it's because the Lord brought about the shipwreck of Paul. When Paul went to Macedonia, it's because he was prevented from going to Bithynia by the Lord. It's God who drives forward the work of his church, and he does it beyond the boundaries of Israel. The advance of the Christian gospel beyond the boundaries of Israel and to the ends of the earth is God's business. He's behind it, and he's pretty good at it. So what? One author puts it like this. The Lord is both subject and object, source and goal of evangelism. This is God's business. This is what he loves to do. This is what he promised to do all the way back in Genesis to Abraham, that the nations would be blessed. This is what Jesus was about. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, the old sweats here on a Sunday afternoon. Sorry, I probably shouldn't refer to anybody like that. But anyway, some of us have been knocking around for a little bit longer. Uh, You will know we have close connections with churches out in Latvia, in the Baltic states. And Alvis is one of the most significant people in the starting up of the church uh, uh, in, in, in Alvis in recent times. When the Iron Curtain came down after um, the, the revolution under Gorbachev and so forth, uh, this individual, Alvis, decided to become a Christian leader. He wasn't actually a Christian at the time, but he thought this was where the action was. He was quite an entrepreneurial guy, and he thought, oh, well, I'm going to get involved in Christian leadership. So he joined a church. He quickly... Um, kind of developed, got ordained and so forth. He still wasn't a Christian. He joined the kind of smartest church in central Riga and he started taking weddings. Everybody wanted to get married at the time because it was so Western and trendy to be Christian and they wanted to get married in churches. And so Alvis had person after person after person coming to him to get married. He still wasn't Christian. He used to think, well, we ought to do something Christian with them. So he did something called the Four Spiritual Laws. And after he'd been doing this for about 18 months, he said, you're not allowed to get married unless you, you know, whatever you do under the Four Spiritual Laws, sign on the line or say the prayer. Afterwards, after about 18 months, he said to himself, do you know, I don't think I've said the prayer. And that evening he became a Christian. God will grow his church. He'll do it however he wants. He's behind it. He's committed to growing his church across the world. Simultaneously... Artis, age 19, was one of the brightest tech students in the country and was appointed to take on the IT work for Coca-Cola that had just come into Latvia. And uh, they were looking for somebody, and Artis was one of the brightest kids, and so he got doing the IT. So he was driving around newly liberated Latvia in a Porsche with hair down to his, uh, his, his shoulders and so forth, one of the trendiest guys around. Open-top Porsche. 
which actually in Latvia would have been a bit breezy, I suspect, but that's beside the point. He was doing a second degree in philosophy at the time, bright guy. His tutor said, if you're going to understand Kant, atheistic philosophy, you must understand what Kant's writing against. Read Augustine. He read Augustine. He was converted to Christianity. (laughs) He thought for six months as he drove around in his Porsche, I'm the only person in the whole of the Eastern Bloc who believes this stuff. And then he heard all this preaching on the radio, and they got together. And so the church got developed and founded. You know, God will grow his church. This is what we're learning here as we see the advance of the Christian gospel beyond the boundaries of Israel to the ends of the earth. It's God's business He's behind it. Might I put it negatively? Though we're going to see in a moment that God gives us a privileged part in this, it's not fundamentally our efforts that grow the church. Not my attendance, my strategic thinking, or yours, our gifts, my favorite preacher, my financial contributions, or even my prayers. How we love to lord and magnify human achievements. It's great that we have our 2030 visions and our PCC tomorrow evening, and we're going to deepen deliberation about all sorts of important things. But at the end of the day, it's God who is the great church planter, God who's the great evangelist, and God who longs to drive his mission forward. And here we see it. I think of our mission partners, many of whom will be listening to this talk. We've just been praying for Max, uh, Maxime out there in France. Others there in France with him, or out in northern Nigeria with Gareth and Catherine, or Chris and Sophie in South Africa, um, Duncan, so forth and so on. You know, isn't it an encouragement to know that God is behind this project? It's not just our mission partners. It's you in your office. We've been thinking about workplace Christian unions. You in your school. God wants there to be an advance of the gospel in the school. He's behind it. That's what he's concerned about. I think of Dave sitting there with the prison ministry. You know, God wants the gospel to be proclaimed in the prisons. God wants the gospel to go far and wide. The grace of the Lord was with them. God added to their number. The hand of the Lord was with them. It's God's business. It's word business. Now, I know there's a danger here that I begin to sound a little bit like one of those Instagram videos that's set on constant replay. You know, you press it, gets to the end three seconds later, and it goes back and again and again and again. But the Bible teaches again and again and again that it is a word business. It's the word of Jesus Christ that grows his church. I'm going to read verses 19 through 26. Ask yourself as I do it, How did God establish his church in Antioch? What did he use? How did God maintain his church in Antioch? What was at the heart of it? How did God secure his church in Antioch? What brought it about? Now, there were those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, and they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all, 
to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They were speaking the word, verse 19. They spoke to the Hellenists, preaching, verse 20. They preached the Lord Jesus, verse 20. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people, verse 26. Verse 24, they encouraged and exhorted people. Verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians. They spoke the word. They preached Jesus. They taught. Such was the teaching that the people became known as Christians. There was real content and meat to the material that they taught. And at the heart of the meat was the person of Jesus. What was the content of the instruction? Jesus. Who exercised this ministry? Well, both all, all who are scattered, and specifically appointed leaders. What was the nature of the ministry? They exhorted, they urged, but it wasn't pure exhortation. They taught what was the impact of the ministry. This group made such an impact on the large urban setting of Antioch that it became necessary to identify them as a group. Because they taught them Jesus Christ, they became known as Christians. Once again, there's so much, isn't there, that could be said from this. So, so much. Growing churches is God's business first. But growing churches is a word business. It's a teaching business. It's a proclamation business. It's a sharing the gospel business. The author of Acts is a guy called Luke. Luke doesn't tell us what the core content of the syllabus was at this point. That's because he's already done it. He told us in chapter 10 what the message was to the Gentile world, the essential message, peace through Jesus Christ who's Lord, the well-attested fact, Jesus of Nazareth lived among you, doing good works, he was crucified, he died, he rose, the God-given meaning that he is the one who will judge the living and the dead, and that Jesus is the one who offers forgiveness for our sins. So there is the essential message, and you will see that there's encouragement here. Do you see in verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So I need to be encouraged, and you need to be encouraged, and I need to be exhorted. And you need to be exhausted. Stay faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Don't drift. There are constant setbacks and struggles. I couldn't get in this evening with the traffic, and so I went home, got the bike out, had a puncture. So I came in again, walked across London Bridge. And as you cross London Bridge, there are all these people still doing the marathon. You know, eight and a half hours later, some of them were just walking, can you believe it? And there were people on the side of the road saying, keep going, keep going. That's what's needed. That's exhortation and encouragement. Go on, go on, go on, go on. Go on, go on, go on. Famous Christian chorus. There are 450 verses. Those of us arriving in London need encouragement. Those of us who have been knocking around for a long time need encouragement. I went to a, a, a 
very brief conference earlier this week on Monday and Tuesday. You know, there was a talk from a young lad on Monday morning that was just so encouraging. And I, I turned to a friend of mine, same sort of doddering age as me, and we both said, we really needed that. We need encouragement. And Barnabas, who's known as the great encourager, encouraged them. But it wasn't just exhortation. You'll see there's instruction here, verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. I need to be taught. You need to be taught. Simple exhortation isn't enough. We don't know it all. We need, there's so much more to learn. There needs to be substance to our faith. If we're not taught in depth, we will be shallow. Shallow root, no fruit. No substance, no endurance. Fruitful Christians are instructed Christians. We need to, it's so great to hear about the Tuesday evening. It's Tuesday evening, isn't it? Small groups, Matthew's Gospel and the book of Exodus. What a wonderful thing to be doing together. Get part of it. You need to be instructed and you need to be encouraged. Who encourages you? Who's alongside you? Think of the marathon. Stop. I don't, they weren't shouting out, stop walking, you lazy goat. They weren't shouting that sort of thing. They were giving them real encouragement. Well done, you walk 25 miles. You're a genius. Or something or other. Interesting, isn't it? It doesn't sound like there were necessarily grand rallies or staged bands. There are many ways of drawing a crowd and calling it church. Church just means gathering. In some places, some parts of the country, simply having a great car park can increase the number of people who come to church. Getting smoke machines and light shows can increase the number of people who come to a gathering. It doesn't make it Christian. Ensuring that the church's social life is strong can grow a church. Having the best Instagram account can grow a church. Being involved in whatever popular project the world might find attractive, whether it's an environmental program or a social action program, can grow a church. But what grew the church in Antioch and what grows God's true church is the word, exhortation, instruction. What Luke wants to emphasize for us is that this work in Antioch was pioneered through the ministry of the word, was established on the ministry of the word, and was secured through a ministry of the word. God's great purpose in the book of Acts is the advance of his glorious gospel across the globe. And in Antioch, we see the Christian gospel moving beyond racial boundaries, transcending cultural and religious structures, and radically impacting individual lives. And it is through the ministry of the spoken word concerning Jesus Christ. We must ensure that that is front and center. I mean, wasn't it great to hear Anarin saying, switch your silly old mobile off so that we don't get distracted? Because they're about the word of God. Don't throw around those hand grenade things that you carry water in these days that rattle around on the floor because we don't want to be distracted because we're about the word of God. We want to be taught. Here at St. Helens, we must work to make sure that that is what happens. And if you're part of a university Christian union 
or if you're in a school and you're trying to get your Christian union up and running, make sure it's the word of God that's at the heart of it. And if you're in a workplace, make sure it's the word of God that's at the heart of what you're trying to do to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's business. That's what he wants. It's word business. Does this mean that it's God's business, that it's word business, that we can all simply relax, lie, get out the sunlight lounger, lie back and mix ourselves a margarita? Is that what we mix ourselves? I think it is. Anyway, whatever it is. Or is that a pizza? Anyway, what, which one's the drink? I, I've, got in a, I've got in a muddle. But this should be our business, point number three. The point here is that God uses means, and the means God uses is people, and the people God uses make decisions, and the decisions made by God's people advance the gospel. God uses means. The means he uses is people. The people God uses make decisions. The decisions made by God's people advance the gospel. Again, look at verses 19 and 20. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word. Some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord. Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Verse 25, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they, went with the, they met with the people and taught. Verse 27, Agabus came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and foretold of the famine. Verse 30, the church in Antioch sent relief to their brothers in Judea. Note the way that the two churches respond selflessly and sacrificially to one another. There's clear evidence, isn't there, of the church in Jerusalem having godly concern for the growth of the gospel beyond their borders. And then there's clear evidence of this new church in Antioch being so impacted by the gospel they have concern for their brothers in Judea. The worldwide church of God. God's business, word business, our business. Look at the role of individuals. Verse 19, those who've been scattered because of the persecution, they went about speaking the word. And then we come across Barnabas, who originally came from Cyprus, whose name means son of encouragement. He's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And the church in Jerusalem send him up to Antioch to help with the work. What must it have meant for the church in Jerusalem to lose Barnabas? What must it have meant for the church in Tarsus to lose Saul? Just imagine that. I would have loved to have been a fly on the lamb chop in the market stall in Tarsus as Barnabas, the Christian guy from Cyprus who's working in Antioch, came breezing in. Anybody seen Saul? Is one of the most significant headhunting acts in the whole of the history of um, the Western world. Gospel men and women, gospel churches, making gospel decisions to make selfless and sacrificial moves for the sake of the advance of the gospel. It's worth saying that prophecy in the book of Acts is primarily forth-telling 
speaking the truth that has been revealed. And on just a couple of occasions, it is foretelling. With the arrival of the completed revelation of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures, forthtelling is the role of prophecy. Just every now and then, somebody speaks about the future. And here we have Agabus doing just that. But the point is simple and straightforward. This is God's work. Wherever you are, it is God's concern that the church should grow. This is word work. The way it will grow is through the speaking of the Christian gospel, both encouraging, both evangelizing and encouraging, and then building up. And then finally, God uses means. And so we as a church need to be thinking, how can we serve other churches? How can we send people to other churches from time to time? We might need to draw somebody in from somewhere else. But then we as individuals, God uses means. How might he use me in the advance of the gospel? Let me lead us in prayer. (coughs) Father, we praise you that this glorious gospel has reached us, that it came to these shores through precisely your concern and your work, that your word has been proclaimed to us, that the gospel came to this building in the 1960s, and that from the original labors of individuals, you have grown the ministry here to what it is. And we pray that in our day, you would fill us with equal confidence that this is your business and the readiness to speak the word and to be instructed and to grow in knowledge and understanding. And we ask it for your name's sake. Amen.